Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 93. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 2008 movie, Let the Right One In. So, Charles, tell us about it. So, this movie uh, features a young Swedish boy named Oscar, and he meets a young girl named Ellie who moves next door to him and befriends her. Uh, and at the same time, this girl and her father or caretaker are involved in a few rather gruesome murders around town. And it appears that they're trying to harvest blood for her. And at first it looks like she's maybe sick or something. It turns out that she's actually a vampire and needs the blood to subsist. Eventually Oscar finds out, but he's still okay with being her friend. And she kind of teaches him to try to stand up to his bullies. But eventually, all the killings start attracting attention, and she decides that she has to leave town. When Oscar tries to stand up to his bullies, they kind of escalate the situation <laughs> and threaten him more severely. But Ellie swoops in uh, in the nick of time and completely dismembers the bullies and saves him. And then they are seen on a train leaving town together in the end. Yeah, end of movie. So it's, it's kind of a love story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one, look at that. Yeah, look at that. Look. This was my pick uh, for Let the Right One In. Um, I wanted to, it's, it's kind of responsive to Lost Boys, um, not in the literal sense, but in the context of the show, responsive to Lost Boys. Um, it this, was funny to see them back to back like this. Yes, that was kind of my intent yeah. there. Just a completely opposite end of the spectrum take on the vampire lore and mythology. So I wanted to look at it in that context. Um, it's also just, a, I think it's a good movie. I, I liked it. I still liked it this time around. Um, it was good enough to get a ill-considered American remake like two years after it came out in Sweden. Um, this is also, I believe, the first foreign language European movie we've watched, which is weird. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's taken us this long to get to that category of film, um, but it felt like a good opportunity to, to cover that. Um, and it, I also think it's a movie that kind of functions on a lot of levels, right? Like as a straight, you know, just horror movie and like examination of, of vampire myth, um, but also as a look at literally what we let into our lives and what we don't let into our lives, ex exclusion and inclusion, the welfare state in Sweden, especially in the 80s. Um, so I think that there's a lot of layers to this movie. Um, also, and as a romance, like I think it, 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 there is something going on there. Um, so yeah, I think I, I enjoy this film and I liked it this time around too. Uh, what do you think about this one, Crossman? I, I like this movie. Okay, good. I, I saw it probably right around the time when it came out because like it had a lot of buzz. Sure did. And I found a copy online somewhere. And I think it wasn't translated very well initially. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't like love it when I first saw it. But I think on rewatch, I, I like, it's very pretty. Yes. It's a beautifully shot movie. Yeah. And it's very, um, I like that it's like an anti-horror movie in a, in a few ways. It's not scary, really. No. There's some gruesome, like, stuff. Yeah, there's some gruesome stuff in there, but it's not, like, you know, it's creepy sometimes, yeah. I guess. Yeah. There's no, like, jump scares. There's no jump scares. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I like it. It's a very, like, um, contemporary film in that it. Came out even 10 though years it's, ago. Even though it's 10 years ago, but it still feels very contemporary because it's, like, kind of, like, in. Uh, in it, it, it does things that are similar to, like, kind of what Guillermo del Toro is doing, where mm -hmm. it like, kind of takes a monster myth and like turns it around. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does that very well. I like that about it. Yeah, yeah. Just, like what if this actually, how would this function in the world in a real way and like kind of take it seriously? Yeah. yeah. What do you think of this one, Charles? Did it land? Um, nope, no. Not for me. No, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> you can tell, huh? Yeah, um, you made face. Yeah, I don't know. I meditative Norse movie. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't too drawn in by um, the story, uh, like the, the character development, the little bits of it that was there, or the love story. You know, I didn't, I didn't find it that interesting. Um, and the movie just seemed very drab and slow. Yeah, Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like the Nordic aesthetic for my furniture, but not for my movies. Well, this is only uh, one sampling, but I hear you. Like, the, the, I mean, this movie, it's, it's a lot of shots of, like, snow falling and 
Right. Like I mean, <laughs> it's a similar problem it's I had with beautifully though. Yeah. Right. It's a similar problem I had with like assassination of uh, Jesse James, where it's shot beautifully, but what's being shot is kind of drag, <laughs> and so it just it feels hard for me to really get into it that way, like aesthetically. I get the sense that you're not into snow in general. Like cold climates don't seem to be landing. I mean, I like snow. It's just. <laughs> I mean, like, you look at the architecture of their block and it's just kind of gross. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I agree with all that, but it, it's shot affectionately. And I think that it's, it's dark and, like, I don't even want to say drab, but it's sterile, right? Like, there's a starkness to this movie. It's um, shot yeah. in the Ar Arctic Circle or close to it. Okay. They shot I, it in, like, northern yeah. Sweden because they knew there would be snow. Yeah, well, they were right. And there is, and it's, it's integral to the storyline. Yeah, on, on several points. Um, so yeah, I think I, I like that about it, and I like how uh, you, you said anti-horror Crossman, and it, it kind of is exactly that, both in the sense that it is only kind of scary, but just in like the form of it, right? Like that there isn't a big reveal, you know, in terms of what a, what the twist is. You kind of see this this playing out pretty far down the line. Like it doesn't do a lot of the exposition dump that you'll see in traditional horror. Instead, it has like barely any dialogue at all. Like it runs in the opposite direction. But did I did, did I miss some hints at her being a vampire earlier in the movie? I didn't catch on yeah. until she started like scaling the wall. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. And then bit her caretaker in the neck and tossed him over. Right. That's when you I, see the caretaker like go out and like murder somebody. <laughs> And yeah, like, so is like, it, is it about this? Like, so like as I mentioned in the summary, at first it seems like maybe she's sick. She looks so pale and yeah, stuff. Oh, that she that's needs like a blood transfusion or something like that, right? Okay. Um, and maybe I just wasn't paying close <coughs> enough attention. I missed some signs about it because like the movie seems too seriously shot for there to be fantastical elements in it, and so I didn't suspect that there'd be vampires in huh. this movie. That's it. okay because when I first saw this movie, it was a few years after it came out. I didn't see it right away, and like. It was always pitched as like I knew it was a vampire movie going in. Okay. Yeah, when I, mean, I, I knew about nothing it. about this movie, so that's interesting. A bit of an advantage there. When I, when I heard about it, it was like, "Hey, check out this vampire film." Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. So that was like. So it was never. I never treated it as a, or I never thought of it as much of a secret, I guess. But that's okay, interesting yeah. that you didn't see it until. Yeah, because I don't think there were any really overt hints to it, and like I said, the movie just seems uh -huh. so realistic and grounded that I didn't think that they'd go there. That's interesting. So I, what? So you, you're saying you you put it together like when she starts climbing up walls, which you know. Well, like climbing up walls is not really a vampire thing, a but I thought thing. that's a little weird. <laughs> uh, and then she bit the yes. guy's neck and tossed him out. I'm like, oh, oh, is this is this what this is? Her caretaker. Is that, yeah. Yeah, that was the first one she got. Yeah. No, no it was well, no, it was the one. guy under the bridge. Yeah, but she the gets first the guy. one where it's very obvious <laughs> that it's a vampire style biting. Okay. Because when she gets the guy under the bridge, it's a little hard to see anything. Maybe she's just like got sharp nails or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's cool. I would yeah. not think to watch the movie that way, but yeah, that's so like that's after that happened, I thought back and wondered like, did they show a mirror or something earlier in the movie? I don't know if I missed something, but I don't think I did. The, when she hops up, because the first shot you get of her is on that playground at night, right? Yeah. And when she hops off of the top of the jungle gym thing or whatever that she's on, there's a little like float in her fall. And I, so like, it, she doesn't fall normally. Like there's a little delay to you it. You only notice that if you're looking for it though. Cause I, yeah, I, I notice it too. Pick <coughs> yeah. Up on that. But yeah. So I, I think there are little hints, but they're little hints. You're, you're right. And maybe it's true that you only see it if you look for it. Yeah. Um, and I certainly was because I was like, this is the vampire movie. <laughs> the, the sad, sweet I'm glad you guys movie. didn't mention it before. I, I that made for think a I very interesting to. twist. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And you still, it still didn't land. Despite, I think that would improve the movie. Yeah. It certainly did. Yeah. Okay. It's just that, like, a lot of the portions of the movie, it felt like nothing was happening. That's true, right? Like, and I think it is very, like, Indie Swedish in that respect, yeah, where, or in, Indie European in general, right? Like, yeah. where it's very comfortable, like taking a, giving the audience space to kind of breathe in this world, right? For better or worse, and sometimes that looks like you know you're just staring at snow falling. For yeah, a while. it's just like they have all these scenes that of like some Swedish locals just chatting and then getting killed, right? Right, and that seemed to detract from the movie a bit for me because like I just wasn't that interested in what they were doing or how they were living or any of that, like, so it just took time away from the focus in the movie, 
And then in doing that, it felt like the love story and Oscar's character development suffered as well, and I wasn't as convinced by those either. See, I find that it gets a lot out of small moments, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you're inter like the, the opening sound for Oscar is him like threatening to kill people, yeah. right? And I think that sets up the conflict in that character very succinctly and very early, mm -hmm. such that it really does color everything else that's about what he's doing throughout the film. So. It, it's kind of using these small moments in, or brief moments in, in effective ways so that it does give you time to kind of just exist in this you know, stark European yeah, or Swedish wasteland. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do you feel about the, I don't know, space in this film, Grossman? I, it, it is drab, for sure. Yeah. But it's meant to be like a sort of Soviet bloc or like Soviet bloc adjacent. Multiple Russia thing. and... Soviet references in yeah. this film. Yeah, so that's that, that a little weird. I mean, they weren't part of the USSR, were they? No, but I think they're next door, so it's definitely like a concern. And the, there's <laughs> a history between Sweden <laughs> and Russia being neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, like they have a fraught history. Even now, I think I remember last summer where the Sweden was like concerned that there were Russian like submarines in their waters and mm -hmm. like they were like sending complaints to the Russians. Yeah, and I, I won't pretend to yeah. be a, a historian on Swiss. Russian relations, but Swedish. they do sweet. Yeah, sorry, Swedish <laughs> Russian relations. Well, or Swiss. Finland, <laughs> right next door, was a part of the Soviet Union. Okay, right, uh, but yeah, they, like it goes back many, many hundreds of years. Like they, yeah. they, they, have, they have been at war before. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think there probably was a lot of fear of, you know, the encroaching communist influence on, on Sweden in the eighties as as exemplified by both the welfare state, which is robust in Sweden, and foreigners entering the space, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a famously insular society, right? Famously, singularly Swedish, and what is... Well, that's a, just like all of Northern Europe, right? Right, yeah. That's why they're so happy. It's, yes, because they're all white, <laughs> including, including Sweden, right? And what does, a vampi what does the vampire represent here, right? It's a, a nomad. Like the first thing you see is her moving into a new space, and she's uh, strange and hard to place and androgynous and, right, other. Like she's constantly cast as the mm -hmm. other, right? So I think it's easy to place this character as, within that concept of just the fear of something unknown and unknowable entering your little suburban town. Yeah, although the, the Swedish locals seem very quick to accept the, the caretaker guy. Like, they try to, they try to like invite him into their circle right, what, immediately. Yeah, he, he presents as Swedish. Yeah, I mean, right? that's like, true. He's, he's a normal-looking white dude and, he, and so forth. She's not, right? Like, she does not look... Like everybody else, there she is. Like that actor was cast to look very different than her male counterpart, right? Where he mm -hmm. is very fair-skinned and blonde hair, right? She is dark and androgynous features and there. There black definitely hair. is like an element of this movie as to like what what your, what your neighbors are up to. Yeah, is like a concern of like the community. It's like very like insular communities, so they they are like mm -hmm. there. There does seem to be that. So. Right, and he's she's literally the neighbor in this case, right? Like she moves in next door to yeah. Oscar. The yeah. other neighbor for Sweden is Russia, right? That is yeah. mentioned over and over again in this film. Um, so yeah, I think that, that that again is just one of the layers at play here. Yeah, it's just like a theme. Though. Like I don't think that like the politics of Sweden was like an overarching. No, thing. I don't it think so. But like I think a, it's but it, it, like it adds like texture to the yeah, film. Yeah, I think it is consciously present. Yeah, it's set in the '80s too. Right, and anytime, anytime you yeah. you see a period piece, you have to you you are correct to wonder why, right? Yeah. Like, because that is a that is not a natural choice to, to set it not during the present day. And if you're not if you're making that choice, there's a reason for it. Right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I came to like an answer on that. The only thing that I could really like think of was this kind of like sort of neighborly concern being like a part like an important like texture to the film <laughs> and just the fact that like kids are like active and play outside seem <laughs> yes. important and like something then hit each other yeah. yeah yeah something in the distance maybe right and, and I, I think know. I think there is like this like I, if you want to talk about central themes in this film it's it's otherness right and like what you do how you define your in-groups and your out-groups who you exclude and who you don't yeah. right and the most obvious metaphor is that you have to invite the vampire into your home before they can actually enter Right, and I think that. Ooh, I, I love that 
scene too. Oh, yeah. he's one of the better ones. He's like, "What happens?" And she just I like didn't expect that. comes in and like starts to melt essentially. It, right. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, "Okay." It was fine. really gruesome. It was probably well after that. after the pool scene, the most gruesome in the. I think it was more film. gruesome because the pool scene was like, I, well, maybe it's just me. I'm less bothered by like the overt, like over the top gore because right. it seems so unrealistic and fantastical. And while this is also a bit over the top, it's a little more well, grounded. You, also, You're like, more intimate. Builds, yeah. yeah, and it builds like a lot slower too. Where she's like, yeah, she starts out fine and then she just kind of hunches over and then suddenly yeah. she's like bleeding out of her back. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that's that's not. I'm like, I mean, there's there's diseases that make blood start coming out of you, right? Yeah, that'd be gross, too. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. I, think that's <laughs> I, don't a, I think that's a real thing. It probably is. Yeah, with hemophilia, it's, like, very easy to just start bleeding. Yeah. yeah. So, again, not something I want to witness. Yeah. Um, but I think that it, otherness is an important part of this movie, and also... And with otherness comes the idea that the other is not knowable. Right? And so, when you obfuscate the time period which I think this movie does. It's not clear that it's in the 80s. It's not clear at what point you learn that or at what point in the 80s it occurs, right? Like the, the timeline here is really unclear. And I think that adds to that same feeling of just ambiguity and unknowingness. You mean like what It Follows did? Yes, exactly like what It Follows did actually. And I think that that is at play here too. Yeah, I've, I think going back to like the fact that the kids at play outside like is important too actually that like narratively it, it is in the 80s it was like okay for your kids to just like go out and play yeah, yeah. I, I don't know like I don't know enough about Swedish culture to say if that's <laughs> still true in Sweden or not like I've, I have no idea kids like, these days are just on their phones <laughs> they're not hitting each other with sticks anymore <laughs> right <laughs> that, was a, that was more of like a pole yeah. that he got them with um, so I, I, I hesitate to make that comparison for that reason. Yeah, it's Americanizing it, maybe. Yeah, because I just don't know. Um, yeah. But I think that the, the effect of, on me as a viewer is to make this movie a little bit more disorienting, right? Just that, that you, have to, you have to spend mental energy on figuring out when this is happening, mm -hmm. which kind of makes it a little bit, you know, uneven, a little bit distant, right? Uh, that, that, that was my reaction to it anyway. In my like 2018 lens, the thing that really struck me is that like this movie is a lot about like a a non-binary character. Yes. Um, which I don't think I picked up on 2009, and I, I'm not sure if it's as intentional as it comes through. I think it absolutely is. Like, there's more ambiguity, right? Like, you can't place a gender on this person, right? They're mm -hmm. they are unknown, right? They are something else. Or or that she like presents hourly as as a girl, but right. Sort of does not ascribe that label to her, herself, or as a vampire, right? Even, which well, and she explicitly is like presented as an option. Yeah, she explicitly says several times, "I am not a girl," right? Mm -hmm. Like over and, and over again. Mm -hmm. Apparently, oh. that's like more clear in the text. Um, in, in the it's based on a book, right? Yeah, and we see like a glimpse of her changing in the film. One of the more questionable scenes. Yeah, <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, for sure. But I think they're definitely <laughs> trying to say that, like. Right, she's not a girl. Yeah. Right, there's some mm -hmm. yeah. gen, like non-gendered nature to this being. Yeah, um, which I think feeds back into this this theme of otherness. Yeah, but it's also like interesting in that it's like a romance with a non-binary yeah. character, which e mm -hmm. even that is like. It, it, I think they're like just beginning to explore stories like that in. Like Certainly, only like a few documents I can think of like. Um, yeah. And, and so it's interesting that this is like 10 years old and it's like dealing with this subject matter. Right, but, mm -hmm. it, but it has to treat that romance as something horrible, right? Like when he, the, like this is not a happy ending, right? Because the, the, the conclusion for our, the Oscar character is that he ends up like her hunter that, get, that kills himself midway through the movie, right? Like that's the role he's going to end up playing. And I think that that's not a happy thing, and it's not a subtle thing either. Like that's that's right where he's headed. I, I'm not sure that the film was like saying that for sure. Oh really? I read that pretty clearly. When he's to the, the pinnacle, or like the climax of the film is like he's being the like extreme bullying moment right. where he's like being drowned by this like older kid, and then she, she ends up like, you know, killing all those like bully kids. Butchering them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To me, what that said was that like. So, so she has this like other, this older 
guy who's mm-hmm. like kind of doting on her as like a, a servant, <clears throat> and the, he goes out and like murders people and brings back. He's really blood, bad at it. Blood to her. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's not good, but apparently yeah. he's been they've been together for a long time. Probably yeah. his lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but I think we never we see that like Oscar, like in in some cases is like is able to defend himself, but in other cases he's like doesn't seem capable of it, mm-hmm. like both physically and emotionally. And the fact that so going back to like the climax of the film when he's like not able to defend himself, but she comes in and like kills all those guys. Um, what it what I wasn't sure about, but what I, I kind of thought that this was saying is that like she's she's now like chosen to kind of like start doing the killing herself, and their relationship is much more of like them being to like together rather than like him being a servant for her because like he doesn't mm-hmm. kill the bullies and then like feed her the bullies. I guess I had a much more cynical read of it oh, okay. <laughs> than you did. I guess because I I read it as yeah. just him making like him making the ultimate bad choice, right? Because like the the choice that this character is deciding on and it's presented like right there at the beginning of the movie is like is he also going to be violent? Right? Like it's it's kind of a movie about revenge. Right? Yeah. Like is he going to opt for revenge? And she states that, right? She tells him that the first thing that she heard him say was that he's going to stab these people and make them squeal like pigs. Yeah. Right? Which is also the first thing that the audience hears him say. And when she gets that taste of revenge and decides that yes, this is what I want, to me that's a failure of this character, right? Like that, that, that's the character that, that he is letting in the evil, right? He has, he has invited it into his, into his life and that's really the, you know, the title of the movie. Um, yeah. So <laughs> he, he like accepts her violence. Right, and, and that, that's something that he wants to, that he wants in his life. I mean, it's like the opposite of the Lost Boys, right? Because the main yeah. character in the Lost Boys, he doesn't accept the gang. <laughs> You're right. The gang's need to feast on the innocent to live, right? right. And so he, the whole conflict is him rejecting them. Right. Whereas this is him, like over the course of the film, embracing it, right, and, and becoming closer to it. You, you'll note the first time that he, he does engage in an overtly violent act when he hits that kid with the pole at the at the ice rink is the same time that the body is discovered in that ice rink, right? Like, so yeah. their, their violent acts and her blessing of the earlier violent act become merged, right? And become, and, and are joined. No, I get that. We, we still don't see, like, him acting on her behalf in the same no, way not that, yet, like, but the you, servant did. And I almost felt like this was, like, <clears throat> the beginning of, like, a more equal relationship. That's so generous of you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't have a, quite as big a heart, I guess. That was that was my read, kind of at the end, that they kind of like now they're communicating in like this cute way, like they have the little like the uh, Morse, they like teach right. each other Morse code. Right. And I guess the closest they get to yeah. collaboration is when the the guy whose wife burns or girlfriend or whoever burns burns herself to death, like tracks her down into the into the tub while she's in torpor or whatever, and. Oscar warns Ellie that he's there and she kills him, right? Like that's the closest they get to like really overtly working together on yeah. uh, murdering people. Yeah. Um, and that's more him saving her. Yeah, right, right. And the, so it's like this quid pro quo when she comes along later and kills all the bullies. Um, so yeah, I, I saw this as Oscar assuming the role of her protector yeah. that we saw kill himself later on. And like that, because she doesn't age, he will, that's where they end up, right? Yeah. I, Right, and I think you you see it. You you even get a mention earlier in the film when they're having um, when they're you have the locals like the townies in this diner and they're having a conversation. The first thing they're talking about is the death penalty, mm-hmm. right? And what the, what the guy says is that like no civilized, there's no reason to have the death penalty other than than revenge, right? Yeah. And like that's really kind of central to the film, right? That it, that it's talking about the the pernicious nature of that that revenge and that it's something that you have to invite into your life. Right, and that's a choice that we that you have to make, mm-hmm. um, which is again the title of the movie. Yeah, I I got all that. I think, <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I, mean, still I, think, like, I see where Crossman's coming like, from because yeah. their depiction of love seems very genuine in a mutual way. It's just that we don't know how the relationship between the caretaker and her started. We didn't see the beginning of that, right? So right. maybe it started that way and evolved into the way it became. Right, that's what I, exactly. Yeah, what I think so happened. we don't we don't know, or yeah. if this is like a different start to a new relationship. 
that's new to her or something. I don't know. If she's been around for a long time, there's probably nothing new to see. Right, which is yeah, very ambiguous. Stars is like very defensive, where she's like, you know, you can't like me, and then she mm -hmm. she like does seem to like kind of fall for him in that like she comes back to like save him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But she also, at that point, has lost the person that's going to go hunt bodies for her, right? <laughs> and she's and she's shown herself to be kind of not that great at it because she kind of gets caught immediately. Yeah, that's true. But like she, you know, she does come back to save him. I think that's important. Whereas like she very clearly, the guy at the beginning, who I don't think is ever even named, um, is like just her servant, and that's like not the relationship that we see between her and, and Oscar. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, in the book, yeah. it's it's more explicit that it, he's a pedophile. Oh. Her her caretaker guy, yeah. um, and that that's really why he's here at all. Um, yeah, which is an angle that the movie doesn't explore. Yeah, um, but for what it's worth, <laughs> that, that's that's what's in the book. Um, I, is, I get why they avoided that. Yeah, guy. that's that's hard to film. That's like a whole, totally different film. Too. Yeah, yeah, like that. That's like a different theme, different everything there. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas this, yeah, this movie's doing. I, I think this is much more interesting, particularly like someone who appears as a child is able to like command a, an adult to like do horrific things is actually like an interesting like dynamic. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's a that's an aspect of the vampire mythology yes. we've never seen, right? Because yeah. like, uh, presumably she got bit by a vampire when she was twelve, and I guess in this universe you just stay whatever age you turn into a vampire at. Yeah. Which is, I think, typical of vampire myth. Is that it? Okay. That, that, it like locks you into the age that. You okay. Were, yeah, that comes I never thought up about like that aspect. Interview of it. with the vampire, <laughs> right? Preacher. There's a notion of like the vampire's familiar too, which is like someone who's like mm -hmm. indebted to the vampire and like has to do stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and usually the, in return for like to be turned. But again, like the vampire mythology is like so expansive that it's hard to know like which well, one they're like yeah. choosing from. Yeah, and it's one of the oldest mythologies out there, right? Like you, yeah. you can find traces of a vampire type myth going back. Well before Dracula, like it, it, this is an old, old. But it's like really, it is defined like at the moment of <coughs> Dracula, though, right? Like right. It, it's in folklore for sure. But that, yeah, in, in terms of Western canon, like Dracula yes, is that like Dracula is the one. But yeah. you can you can look at non-Western cultures and still see things like a vampire. Yeah, you know, in terms that it's it's a bloodsucker, it operates at night, right? Like that yeah. it had, it takes on this aristocratic motif. Right, that exists outside of Western canon. Am so you just prior kind of to missing the turns into a bad aspect of it, which very well may be there too. I'm not. I'm no expert. Yeah, that's um, true. But what I I thought where, where they were going with the caretaker in this movie is that they were going to bring in the kind of tertiary level vampire skill where they can mesmerize people. Right, like that. This is it doesn't come up that often, but it is a thing. Where you can the like, glimmer. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's where that comes in from. Twilight. Right, but that, that, oh, it, it, it precedes Twilight by a lot. Yeah. Like, that, that vampires have this. Ability to to charm people, right, and to put them under a spell of sorts. And I thought that might be where they were going. Um, it's not. It, it seems more like he's he's just volunteering for it. Although in the scene where he does pour acid on his face, um, he does say something. He says like, "There's I have no way out" or something like, "I'm trapped," something like that. Um, so there is the sense that he feels, you know, trapped. Sure, because that's what he says. I, I do like the way that they <laughs> present the like. Uh, was it photophobia of, of vampires? They're they're scared of the sun. Right. Yeah. Where the one woman who gets like accidentally turned, uh, like essentially commits suicide by like having someone pull they're, up the drapes. That's exactly what she does. And, I thought that was an awesome yeah. scene. That was I didn't a, expect her yeah, to completely combust. Yeah. I don't know if that's what normally happens to vampires. Vampires aren't real. We can decide. What well, happens. like yeah. you know, in the normal vampire <laughs> mythos, the standard depiction. Yeah, I, I don't I mean, know if they. Ignite like that. But it, that was awesome. I, I think it varies, but yeah, fire certainly does play a role in that in that myth now and then. Um, so yeah, that was certainly one of the more striking and memorable scenes. Yeah, when it just happened movie. suddenly, it's like whoa. Yeah, yeah, you, and it was yeah. very. It was like a very supernatural fire, which yeah. was super badass. Yeah. yeah, or you expect either a gradual process or a cutaway, and it's not. It's just very abrupt, and then it stays with it, and like that. Yeah, I think that makes it. Um, and then of course the other. If we, want, if we want to talk about memorable scenes in this movie, it's the, the last scene in the pool, I think is probably the one that this movie is most well known for. Because um, it's shot so unexpectedly, right? Like you, you have the big fight showdown at the end and the whole thing takes place underwater. It's shot underwater and you only see... It takes place out of frame, essentially. Yeah, exactly, thank you. Um, which is an interesting choice. Uh, how did that one work? I think it's cool, it's like a yeah. really cool shot. 
Um, it's a cool way to shoot that scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they saved a lot of money. Which I'm sure it's a factor. Well, I like, uh, I like that like we know that she can fly, but we just like never see that in the film. Or you get just like last, a second of it. That last scene just yeah. like really shows it but doesn't show it, which right. is great because you see the kids like feet being dragged through the water. But you yeah. just see the feet, you don't see yeah. any of the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the most memorable moment because it, it is dragged across so quickly. Yeah, um, it's most like Spielbergian moment where it's like yes. something magical is like shown. Yeah, in a in a clever way, yeah. magical yeah. and horrible in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, and it puts you right in Oscar's perspective, which is why I think we're we're really supposed to be on Oscar's side in that moment because you, it makes him he's not the object, right? Like he's the subject of that. He's he's the one taking in what's going on around him, um, not. We're not placed in the position of Ellie there, and it really calls attention to the sound design too, because you you hear like the out of water things that are it's happening. Like muffled through the water. Yeah, a lot of thought really to and went into the sound of this movie. I think that scene like highlights it the best. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Because um, I mean, it's it's a quiet film, right? Like on purpose. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of sound effects are like really highlighted. Right, in and interesting like, ways. Not much of a soundtrack really. Um, there's a lot of, again, a lot of space in this movie, and a lot of space, you know, auditorially too. Also, they really like swimming pools in these horror movies. We've got two swimming pool <laughs> movies and two vampire movies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, I'm trying to think of any other examples. I mean, the water's like inherently scary. Right, it that, is. Like Jaws. Right? Yeah, Jaws. Like there's one. Yeah. We're just because you're just it's so like foreign, right? To you're not Human in your existence. space, yeah. right? Like this is not you're whatever the opposite of a fish out of water is. Yeah. A fish on, well, yeah, a human on in water. A human in water. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess. I mean, it's like space too, right? Like yeah. everything's like trying to kill you. Yeah. Right, and again, right. Uh, an environment that you aren't built for, right? Yeah. That you're not equipped for. Um, so yeah, it's here too. Uh, what do we think of the performances? Like this is this movie is really carried by two child actors. I don't think either of them had done anything before this. Uh, and how, how not much after I looked. Well, I looked at Ellie's, um, the yeah, woman she, that plays Ellie's, and she was in like two other things. Yeah, it was like some like, movie that was like about a mining village. Yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then it's, like that came out like seven years after this or something. And then... She hasn't been anything for like right a while. Yeah. I didn't for, check Oscars. I don't know why. Because she was excellent here. She's really she was, good. Yeah. It was a fantastic performance, right? And a really challenging performance. Yeah. Um, and she Although nails it. It's not her voice. I don't know if you read that. No? Really? Yeah, they um, they found, like, a different voice actor and re-recorded their voice because they wanted wow. it to sound, like, huskier and, like, a little less okay. feminine. It does sound like that. It worked. Like, at first I wasn't sure if it was if she was supposed to be a girl or not. Yeah, so there's, an, there's like, a voice actor they found that, like, it's the huh. what they wanted better. Well, so whoever did the sound design and mixing for this movie nailed it. Yeah, they won because you can't you, tell. You, yeah, you, they won yeah, a number tell. of awards for it actually. Justly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they deserved it because I, I had no idea. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that's an interesting choice. I agree. And a difficult. And it, it obviously make. worked because I didn't notice yeah. and I thought the performance was great. So <laughs> I also yeah. read just on the wiki article for the movie that they they interviewed like or they auditioned like tons of kids for these roles yeah like it took them like a year or something to find these two kids huh yeah they found the right ones they're great they yeah. let they yeah they let the right ones in yeah. to yeah. the movie even the, <laughs> the ancillary kids are good like the bully kids are like that that lead bully kid is such a yeah. little fucker right yeah. like <laughs> as soon as he really as soon is. as he smacks him with that pole you're like yeah. yes yeah, <laughs> like, you he deserve should. it. He's like a, a Joffrey like he is sadism to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah like that that dude is Joffrey he, from Game of Thrones. I know you're not a no, I've not Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. No, no he was but he was I a bad the, guy. I get the idea. He's a villain. Yeah, he's the Joffrey in Game of Thrones is like I wouldn't kill a child, but I would I'll kill, kill Joffrey. <laughs> kill this <Yeah>. one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, and he does evoke that. You're right. And this would have let's see, 2008. When did Game of Thrones start? I mean, the books are written well before yeah, that. Sure, series, but like yeah. th that performance really defined the character and the popular consciousness. For sure. Um, so um, this would have Game of Thrones started in like 2010, I believe. Yeah, I think this predates or 11. it. Or 11. So 
all the more credit to that kid then. <laughs> yeah. Just cribbing from Joffrey. Yeah. Maybe so, he's just like that then. <laughs> maybe he's just that yeah, because he's an asshole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that what makes that Ellie performance work so well for me is that she, f she really does feel like an adult. And it, she moves like an adult, right? She carries herself like with this world weariness yeah. that I think only comes from being in in the universe for a long time. And that somebody, because how old was she when she did this? Eight, right? Like she looks. No, no she was were, like twelve. Yeah, yeah, they're like, they're like 12. twelve. Whatever. Child ages run together for me. <laughs> uh, like that, that she's able to evoke that, or that the director is able to draw that out of her, is is exceptional work, right? And common, uncommon work. Yeah, like, you, you you don't see that very often. I think a lot of child actors just kind of like either age out of it or just like make a conscious choice like not to re-engage with acting. Sure. Actually mm -hmm. the kid that played Joffrey said he was done. I acting. heard that too. Well he probably has you know money, more money to live on than anybody needs but yeah. <laughs> so yeah if he just wants to hang around Europe for the rest of his life he can do that. Yeah. I mean I think it's challenging because it's just like it dominates your life. Well, like anybody's job, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of what working is. Yeah, and I think if you have the means to say I'm done, then... Right, well, you, you look at uh, Daniel Radcliffe, right? Like, he... I think he genuinely likes acting, but he likes acting in the stuff that he likes. Yeah. He's, he's, kind of, he's said that he's made an in a conscious and intentional choice to only work on projects that he finds interesting, mm -hmm. right? Like, you're not going to see him in, in a Marvel movie or whatever, right? Like, he's not going to do another big fran franchise. Same with the... Guy that played a uh, Fredo, right? Oh, uh, Elijah Wood. Elijah, Elijah Wood. He's like only done kind of weird movies since then, right? Yeah, he's yeah. kind of a weird guy. That's, that's, yeah. that's my sense of him, anyway. I mean, like, and he looks exactly the same as Daniel Radcliffe. Does he? Yeah, I look, guess they, they look similar. Yeah. There's memes. <laughs> there's, so, there's, okay, so okay, it's, it's, it checks it's, out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not the only one in that case. But yeah, I mean, he was also very young, right, when he did. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Relative. I, and what, he's in his 20s or something? Yeah, but yeah, still. He was a child like, yeah. actor. Yeah. They make him look like Just because he's a hobbit doesn't mean he's a child. <laughs> yeah, but he does like, look <laughs> yeah. Yeah. naturally very young. So, Yeah, so I, it, it could very well be that that's what these, these kids did um, in, in this movie. And when you have a cast of children, right, like that's the bulk of, or at least half of this cast here, mm -hmm. some of them probably are not going to go on to big, great careers. Um, Oscar is great though too, right? That you you have this sense that he is this isolated, you know, socially inept, you know, shy kid that also has this dark side that he's looking for an outlet for, right? Yeah, I mean, you can see that like his home life is kind of broken. Like his right. dad's not around all the time. He likes being with his dad, mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, he doesn't really seem to like doing much, right? So, like school right. school's like not a happy place for him. No, yeah. And his home, it, it's almost like he doesn't have a home life, right? Like, yeah. He spends a lot of time. working all the time. Right, like he, he wanders around the neighborhood in the middle of the night, right? Well, <laughs> it's Arctic Circle, right? So it could oh, be like okay. 5.30 and, <laughs> you know, it's pitch black. 3 p.m. So. Fair, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, I mean, they do make it pretty clear that. They, they had that one version. cute scene where him and his mom are brushing their teeth. That was a sweet little scene. Yeah, kind of out of nowhere, right? Because like, yeah. that was later in the film, and like we've already established that he is kind of okay with vampires and vampires killing people at this point, um, as long as they're cute. <laughs> and then we have this like this bonding moment. With yeah, I mean, it gives me the impression like his relationship with his mother is not as bad as it seemed at first. I, I don't think it is either, but I think it's like sort of beyond her control whether or not she's in the picture. It seems like to make ends meet, she's working. Yeah, I mean, she's not around. Yeah, well, and it, I think it's another kind of parallel with uh, with it follows, right? Because that that's a film that had a lot of absent parents. Right? Not so much that the parents aren't neglectful, but they're just not in the movie. And this one plays a move, makes a similar move, right? Like that he's a, a child of divorce, the mom is working all the time, he has kind of free reign of the neighborhood. Ellie obviously doesn't have parents. Oh yeah, that reminds me uh, of one part where he doesn't admit to his mother why <coughs> he's got the cut on his face. Mm -hmm. He just says he like fell over while skating or something, right? right? But then immediately he's with Ellie and tells her the truth. So yeah. he trusts, I mean like she's the same age and they're friends and all that, so he trusts her a lot more than he trusts his mom, I guess. Right, well, and they make that clear by putting those scenes yeah, exactly. Right next to each other. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. And that's like a natural element of like bullying, right? That, yeah. Like, you know, you don't tell adults. <laughs> right. Because you're being threatened. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's that's why they threaten you. Because yeah. they'll get in trouble. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That that is a thing. Um, 
But yeah, there's like an, there's a, an absence of adults in this movie. The adults that we do get are these they're, townies that end up kind getting of drunks. And, yeah, yeah, that are townies, which is fine. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're kind of drunks. They're definitely not responsible adults. Yeah. Right. There's something weird about several of them. And the teachers the in class are like a million cats. Dude has a lot of cats. Yeah, the one guy that. Oh yeah, he's a hoarder. He's a, yeah, or a cat hoarder anyway. Yeah, that's yeah, possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I think that was uh, one of the few, on a, on a technical level, few missteps in this movie that the, they the had. CG cats. <laughs> CG cats. Yeah. To attack the. Is lady there a that, thing about cats attacking vampires? Is that a thing as there's well? There's a thing about animals not responding well to vampires. Okay. So like that the animals know, right? Like there's this okay. this natural. That seems wisdom. to be true of like all monsters, though, right? It's yes. Like, it's always like the dog that suspects the vampire. <clears throat> right. Right. I think that that trope kind of runs throughout the mythology, um, which is what we Or the Terminators. And, okay. Yeah, <laughs> or the Terminators, yes, exactly. That is in the mythology. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, I think it, it, it probably stems from this idea that animals are more in tune with the natural and that the vampire is unnatural, so yeah. they respond hostily to it. Um, but yeah, those, those CG cats <laughs> did not look great. I thought it looked fine. Really? For like 2008, I was like, I know they're not real. Some of right. them are not real. Some of them weren't real, right. actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it stood out a bit to me. It's <laughs> me too. Um, More than a bit. But it, it, that's a that's a relatively minor gripe. Um, yeah, the, the and they, they had like other computer generated effects in the film, but they're just like hidden well. Right, like, the guy's helped. like face was computer stuff. Yeah, that, I was expecting that. It was yeah. like a it was like a Dark Knight Two Face sort of thing. That's what I was reminded. It, was, of it looked better than Dark Knight. A bit better, yeah. Yeah, but I wasn't expecting it to be that gruesome. It I was guess. much more gruesome than the. Yeah, I think that's the first like gore you see in the movie. It's it's like overtly. The, yeah, it's certainly the closest look you get at it. I mean, you have like these kids hanging from trees that are being bled out, but that's not. Right, but that like you explicit. don't actually see the cut or anything like <clears throat> right. that. Right, yeah, it's not that, you know, well evoked, or as evoked. Um, so yeah, like you get right up in there on that guy's melted yeah. face. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Also, I thought that first scene where he's bleeding out the guy and then the, the jogger and the dog like find him, I thought that was actually kind of funny. There's like a, weird, there's like a yeah. comedic well, the timing like to away. it. The dog's there and he's like, yeah. shoot, get, get away, and the dog's yeah. just fucking standing there and then he has to like kind of awkwardly grab all his shit and run away with this ridiculous plastic thing on him and yeah. uh, it was I weirdly it, comedically timed. I think it's meant to be a little bit goofy right because the like the very last thing you get is the dog starting to lick up the blood on the ground and yeah. then they cut away and it's like oh, okay um, I think it also establishes because I mean I read a couple of reviews um, prior most of them contemporary with the movie and one guy pointed out that he thought that this was a that this was a really bad scene because like it was this plot convenient moment that the plot needed people to stumble upon this guy so they just had him like kill him in an obvious place and it's like I don't I, I don't think that's what's going on. I didn't there. get that either. Right, because yeah. what I think that no. it, what is being communicated is that he's really shitty at this. Right, like that's why they're. <laughs> he moving. seemed competent at first. Right, in terms of the process of it, but in, in terms of like as a killer, right, like he might yeah. be good at draining blood, but he's not very good at concealing his act. And that's why they're moving around all the time, right? Like that's why he he they're moving in. up. Yes, right. <laughs> like that's. I think exactly what's happening. He, they both keep fucking up because as soon as he's dead, she starts just like hopping on people in crowds yeah. and wrestling them to the ground. Like, like they're not very good at this, and I think that that is part of what the that dynamic here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I don't read that as a as a problem with the script. No, uh, no I didn't see it that way at all. Yeah. Uh, Any uh, closing thoughts here? Um, I, I like this film. Um, I, th I, I think we didn't touch as much on how this functions as a romance and how uh, horror in general is kind of an inversion of roman romantic tropes. Whereas you, in a typical romance, you have boy and girl, they're moving over obstacles towards the same goal, which is the ultimate, you know, op the, the final fantasy object, which is, you know, your true love or sexual fulfillment or whatever it is. Whereas here, the Sex is replaced with murder. The boy is replaced with a monster. The girl is replaced with the last, the last girl, or in this case, the genders are swapped, and then one is made ambiguous, further complicating this film. Um, so I think that this movie plays with the relationship between those two genres in an interesting way, um, and that to me makes the that makes the film compelling, especially with apparently the ambiguity at, as to the nature of the relationship at the end, because um, I think that you're more 
rosy uh, reading <laughs> has, has validity. Um, so I, I think that that is an important uh, part of what's going on here, which just adds to the richness of this movie. See, it's weird when I think about it now, because when I think about the ending of the movie, their romance felt convincing. It felt like they had a mutual, like, real love there at the end. But when I think about how it developed, I think that the development of it didn't feel that convincing, because they start out just kind of awkwardly having a short conversation on the playground every once in a while, and then suddenly they're best friends. It's like, uh... Wait, but that's kind of how relationships work when you're 12. <laughs> right? Like, you kind of, like, 12 year olds don't have great social skills, right? Yeah, but they also, have, they also have a, a, an ability to bond quickly, right? Because they're all desperately lonely, um, which feels very human to me, right? Like, I, I kind of get that. Um, but yeah, the, the, at the end, to me, it felt like a very lopsided, manipulative relationship. <laughs> like, that, that's how I read it. But it's open to, uh, <laughs> to different readings. Yeah. Have you Crossman, any last thoughts? Um, I think it's clever that they like shot the whole movie in snow because mm -hmm. like red looks really good on white. It's true. Yeah. Um, I'm a lady snowblood thing. Yeah. So I think that was a good and smart smart choice. Um, yeah, I like this film. It's it's not the type of film that I would normally like, but I think it has like good stuff happening in it, and I think it's it's a compelling film. I haven't seen the American one. I don't feel the need to. It feels so unnecessary. Yeah. Right? Like, what are you going well, to Well, same with the girl with the X series. Dragon yeah. Tread 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was okay. Like, I saw it. Like, I saw the American one, and it's yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, I felt I felt the same way about that series. And I think that was kind of what actually scared me off of the American version <clears throat> of this. Yeah, if so. you saw the other one, you're fine. Like, yeah, then, totally. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, and I think, honestly, I think the, the reason that this happens, because you saw it with the, the ring too, right? Like, the reason this happens is because there's a large portion of the American audience that won't read subtitles. And yeah. that's that. And so the Hollywood sees a marketable movie that did well overseas and says, hey, we can make that same movie and just stick in an English voice track. And la die, it works. <laughs> they made a bunch of money. Um, so I, and it's cheap because you know the movie's been made already. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is a significant factor. Yeah, probably. Probably. Although I I wouldn't blame Americans so much because I think other audiences feel the same way. Like there are, in, like in countries that have their own film industries, there mm -hmm. are similar stories of like, you take whatever American sure. film and then you just like you know you recast it so it's more culturally relevant to. That's a the, local audience. That's the French New Wave, right? Yeah. They're just, they're just cribbing from Hollywood. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. Um, I think it's Kenya or Nigeria that has like a very large film industry, and they apparently do this all the time. They just like take American films and just like make up their own version of it. And, right, but they shoot yeah. it with like a retail camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, kind of like very punk aspect to it, which, yes. I, which I like. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there's kind of a burgeoning film industry there, I think it's Nigeria, um, but yeah. yeah, like there's some wild shit coming yeah. out that's all just made on like, hold it on your shoulder kind of, mm. kind of things you can buy at Radio Shack. Yeah. Um, in any case, we'll be back in a moment with Things We've Seen. See you then. All right, and we're back with Things We've Seen. This is a section where we just talk about things that we've watched recently, sometimes more contemporary. Um, Charles, what have you seen recently? Uh, this is actually kind of related to uh, the androgynous romance that we talked about earlier, but I saw the movie Colette. Oh, I've been wanting to watch this. How was it? Yeah, uh, I quite liked it, actually. Okay. Um, so this movie is about the French novelist Colette, um, who is encouraged or forced to write by her husband, who um, publishes all of her novels under his name because he's got the big publishing name that sells, supposedly. Um, and she struggles to gain the, the credit for, that, it, that she is due for her writing. Um, and at the same time, she also is, I guess, bisexual or pansexual. I'm not sure exactly which one, but uh, she does end up falling in love with someone who is, um, I think she was like one of the first publicly transsexual, or I guess he, publicly transsexual people, but uh, anyway, um, they have a relationship, um, and I think the movie does a pretty good job of depicting uh, the story. Um, it has a very positive uh, depiction of her bisexuality uh, or pansexuality. Again, not sure which one. <laughs> it's up to her, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, 
So it has a very positive depiction of these relationships. Uh, it depicts um, the, I think her name, or she is like the Marquis or something like that. Uh, depicts, yeah, it depicts her character very positively as well. Um, one thing that stood out to me about this movie is that I loved how it looked. Uh, a lot of beautiful scenery that reminded me directly of 1800s Impressionist paintings. Um, there were some direct references to paintings. Like there's one scene where um, there's some handymen like working on their floor um, for like their vacation home. Um, and that's literally ripped out of a painting. I forget who did it, but it's, it's, a, it's a painting. Or like there's scenes where they're walking through the forest um, and they did the color tones just right that they reminded me of Manet paintings. Um, so as a lover of French Impressionism, uh, I really liked how this movie looked. Um, it's a period piece, right? It takes yeah, place it's back in the late when? 1800s, I okay. think. Um, and um, yeah, uh, I think it's pretty well done. It, it has a few issues with being a true story, like it doesn't feel as tightly paced as it could be. Um, you know, it has those, the, the issues of depicting like things that happen but that maybe don't need to be depicted, you know, things like that. Um, but otherwise, I think is an interesting story, uh, and she ultimately is the victor in the end. Like she does get her novels published under her name, um, and is known as a successful writer. Um, and you know, I ended up reading more about this after, so that was okay. nice to see. I'm this doesn't sound like your kind of movie, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah I'm, so, I'm surprised. Yeah, but I, I'm glad I saw it. I Good. enjoyed it. Okay, great. Yeah, because I've... Was this a new film? I, yeah, it's in theaters. Yeah, it now. actually wasn't even officially released yet <clears throat> when I saw it, I think. I think it doesn't come out until like the end of this month officially, but since we're in New York, it's already showing. Yeah, it's been screening theaters. for a couple weeks, and I've been meaning to get around to it and just, just haven't, but um, yeah, it looked really good. It definitely looks like... And, you know, some great it. performances all around. I think maybe it was a little too forgiving to the husband, and it's already pretty unforgiving to him. Okay. I'd say, um, but there's portions where he seems like kind of a good guy when really he's like locking her in a room and forcing her to write for him and then taking all the credit and he goes out and like cheats on her and stuff. Kind of a crane wife situation. Um, yeah, um, but like he's also very accepting of her when she wants to go out and like have relations with a woman. Like he's totally cool with that. Okay. He doesn't have any, any problem with her having a relationship with another woman or anything like that. As long as she keeps writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like I said, sometimes maybe a little too forgiving of him, but he's still definitely the villain. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I plan to see it. Um, and now I plan to even more, based yeah. on your right. yeah, positive I review. I haven't heard of this at all, so. Yeah, it's, it's screening. I think it's screened now. I hope it still is. Um, it should still be, yeah. Okay, because, I, yeah, I do want to see it. The official release cool. will be soon, I think. Good. Karen Knightley. What about you, Crossman? Is anything good? Uh, yeah, I've been, you know, I've just been trying to watch a lot of horror movies this October. Sure is. Um, so I spoke recently about Dagon, um, which I thought was good. So I also watched uh, recently a movie called The Gate, which is uh, from 1987. I don't think I've spoken about this on the podcast. I, no, I don't really think um, about it. Gate's, Gate's a very odd movie. Um, it's also Lovecraftian in its, like, origins. Um, the story <coughs> is uh, about a about a group of kids. They live in the suburbs. Um, it stars uh, Stephen Dorff as a kid and Jennifer Irwin and Kelly Rowan, um, all as kids. Okay. When, wait, when did this set come out? 87. 87, you said? Okay. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, they live in a, a suburb um, at the main character's house. There's a group of construction workers that are like removing a tree. Um, they accidentally open up a gate to another dimension. <laughs> And uh, when the parents leave, all these sort of like creatures come out. And so far, this is the plot of Doom. <laughs> uh, it basically is Doom. <laughs> um, it's it's an odd movie because its audience doesn't seem clear. Uh, so the kids in this movie like look very young, but if you were to say this is a movie for young kids, like the horror elements of the film mm -hmm. are like. Maybe even, I think a little too intense for like the age of the actors in the film. Um, so th there's interesting things. So, like, weird stuff just like starts to happen around the house. Um, so there are like, like undead creatures and like uh, the things with like, like hands coming out from underneath the beds and um, these little kind of like gremlin like creatures, where, which are actually one of the creepiest elements. So they, 
they look sort of like kind of like adult sized devils, but then they do a lot of like size tricks where they're actually like just a few inches tall. Huh. Um, it's very like unsettling, like the sizing of right. the things. Um, and then you know eventually like a demon is is summoned and they have to like d deal with that and like save some of the characters that are like dragged into into the other dimension. <laughs> um, it's a very odd film. I don't, I don't think it's great, but there there are like interesting things happening with like the effects and like the sort of horror elements. But like I, I kept asking throughout like who's this film for? And you? I couldn't like <laughs> well I couldn't like <laughs> yeah. put my finger on that because like for adults it's like not scary enough but if right. you were a kid watching this it would be, it'd be terrifying uh, and yeah I think it comes from that era where like PG-13 didn't exist and like, like everything gets thrown into PG yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so wait when did this come uh, out was like the 80s 80, 87 okay yeah yeah, yeah. And, and there are like some pretty like real horrific like elements in this movie like one of the characters like is his hand becomes possessed and like an eye appears on his oh, hand no. and he like, like pants labyrinth it and he like stabs the eye in his no, hand but then like Jesus. he's he's like hurt by it and no. it's like bleeds out of his hand yeah yeah damn that is not for kids <laughs> yeah um and the the dog the like family dog is like killed early on in the movie and like that like in like kind of like a horrific way and like Okay. But then there's also kind of like goofy like kid interaction stuff. Like the older sister has like a party and the younger kids are like upset by it. And it's such <laughs> like a sort of preteen teen like context right. that it's like um, unclear as to like I don't I don't know. There's just like not like a through line through this movie that it needs. Um, a lot of really great '80s fashion in this. Okay. Um, like lots <laughs> of like neon clothing and like. Nice. Good, good stuff there. Um, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird film. Okay, I'd, is it a, is it a recommend? Should people watch it? I, I think if you're like a horror or Lovecraftian like aficionado, probably. But that's like such a narrow audience where like, I don't, I don't think a normal person's gonna like like this <laughs> film. <laughs> I think they'll find it like very alienating for the, like the reasons that I've laid out. Where did you like, find it? Um, it's available on Amazon Prime. Okay. I've, I've heard it's always made like kind of like a great, it's like whenever you look for like interesting or good horror movies, it, it, it'll pop up on those lists. Got it, okay. Um, and I think it's really those like Lovecraft heads that are kind of like driving the interest in this movie. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, the otherworldly, the unknowable, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it is like an interesting depiction of like, it, it's very like Stephen King inspired I would say like okay. I could see this being like an adaptation of like a Stephen King novella um, yeah it's it's interesting okay I'll keep it on the I, don't, I don't know if it's great but it's interesting it, and great are very close to one another yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's what I think what did, what did you see Wilson um, well this was actually when I saw a couple weeks ago but I want to talk about it now um, a simple favor uh, so this came out some time ago especially by the time this episode is posted it might be available even on streaming yeah um, it's a thriller starring Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively directed by Paul Feige oh that one okay yeah that, I forgot the name of that it's called a simple favor um, Anna Kendrick is the lead uh, she plays a widow in a suburb in Connecticut raising a young son you know, by herself because she's a widow um, she is Playing herself, Anna Kendrick playing Anna Kendrick for the for the most part. She's kind of dorky. She doesn't get along with the other parents because they think that she's kind of a, you know, brown noser. She's kind of playing this perfect mom type role. She makes friends with an un unlikely friendship with the Blake Lively character. Blake Lively is a career woman who also has a young son. That's how they meet. She's a career woman. She has a complicated job that dominates her life. She drinks too much. She lives in a big fancy house and has a lot of money. And Anna Kendrick is bowled over by this lifestyle and thinks that she's the she's the greatest. One day, the Blake Lively character asks Anna Kendrick to pick up her kid from school because she got stuck late at work and to, to watch it for a while. Following that, Blake Lively disappears. And thus, the, the conflict of the film. So it becomes from there this mystery thriller type of story. Um, 
I was reminded of searching, which I mentioned on the show, and Charles mentioned on the show a few weeks ago. It felt, feels like a fixed version of that. Is it like um, Gone Baby Gone? Is, is I was also sort of reminded movie? of that, yes. Okay. So okay. The, the character that, the best part of this movie is Blake Lively. Um, she absolutely nails this role, riveting every time she's on screen, pure charisma. Um, she is somewhere between Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl and Regina George in is that the mean main Girls. character in? In Mean Girls. Okay. Yes. Um, and if that sounds great to you, you'd probably like this movie. <laughs> I think that probably should sound great to everybody. Uh, the thing that I found most interesting about it is that it is starring Anna Kendrick, a comedian, directed by Paul Feige, who made his bones as a comedy director. Right? He wrote and directed Freaks and Geeks, which is why he got famous. He did uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin. He did Superbad. He did all those movies. Uh, yet here he is directing a thriller. And I think what this movie, it, it is funny, right? Like they make good use of Anna Kendrick as a comedian and Paul Feige as a, as a comedy director, but it intentionally or unintentionally draws a pretty clear parallel between comedy and thriller as, as mm -hmm. genre pieces, right? Well, that they're both contingent on tension and the release of tension, right? That they're both contingent on concealing information and revealing it at a well-timed moment and that it is kind of a natural transition to move from a comedy role into a thriller role, which is what Anna Kendrick does here. Uh, it, as a movie, it has a couple too many twists and turns at the end, again, <laughs> similar to Searching, um, but I think it's good, um, and I enjoyed it, and I'm glad I, I saw it. It's probably worth seeing for Blake Lively alone. Like, I wanna see, I definitely, like she was not an actor on my radar before this movie, right? Like she was in Gossip Girl or one of those, one of those movies. <laughs> One of those shows. <laughs> One of those You're shows. asking the wrong audience. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting <laughs> That was rhetorical. <laughs> yeah. um, but she was in one of those shows that I didn't watch or pay attention to. She's really, really good here. Um, I really liked her a lot. Uh, riveting every time she's on screen. She plays this with the perfect amount of just like dry loathing as appropriate, but then is able to pull the audience and Anna Kendrick back in to her grasp exactly when she needs them to. It's really a well-balanced, thoughtful performance um, that also fits within this tone of this comedy thriller really well, which is not something that, as far as I know, Blake Lively has done in either category before. Um, so I was I was really impressed with her in general, um, and she's it, it's worth seeing for that. Um, so by the time this posts, I'm, I have a guess that it'll be available on streaming. If not, it'll be available within a few weeks of there because mm -hmm. I don't think it's in theaters anymore. Uh, but it's, it's worth checking out, and it's probably a good streaming-type movie because it's, you know, a solid, like, B or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, go watch it. Uh, a simple favor. Your pick next, Russman. What are we watching? Well, Our last horror movie of Horror October. For right. Halloween, I'd like to do Halloween. Okay. It's over The original. Yeah, not the new one. <laughs> and not the Rob Zombie one. <laughs> not the Rob Zombie <laughs> one, yeah. Thank God. Um, yeah, this is overdue. This is, like, one of the Thrasher... Or thrasher, uh, slasher triumvirate um, that is really important and critical. So, yeah, good pick. Cool. Cool. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you're liking the show, please uh, share it on social media, tell your friends about it, comment. We, are, we welcome any critiques or observations. Um, and join us next week for Halloween. <laughs>